LBC 97.3. This is London's biggest conversation with the best of Steve Allen. Morning, Steve Allen here with you this Sunday morning. Coming up at six in conversation and this week I'm joined by not one wonderful guest, not two, but three. I tell you, I can never be accused of not spoiling you at all. We've got Helen Lederer. James Corden, talking about playing Britain's Got Talent winner Paul Potts, and Stephen Merchant, talking about his new sitcom. That's at six, but first, my best bits from the week. And this week, I decided to face up to my lifestyle choices. I can only eat once a day now, and just probably sort of marmoset food or something like that, perhaps a a lettuce leaf and a piece of carrot. But uh, I did lunch in town on Friday with a friend of mine, which was very nice. Uh, Not particularly boozy lunch, a couple of glasses of wine, in fact, I think... Little little half a carafe, which was okay for lunchtime. Went back home, had a little sleep, and then off to a, the opening of a restaurant in Twickenham, a burger place. Okay, so-so. And, uh, and, then, and then had Chinese. And there it all went wrong, I'm afraid. <laughs> this was the, the disaster that was Steve Allen. Because we'd had some, we'd had some wine at the restaurant in the evening. And, uh, and then we went on to a pub afterwards. So there's a, a few of us. And I then decided, as one does, I think I want to go home. And so I said, I've got to go. I said, I'm so tired. I've got to go home. I was up really early this morning. I've had a little bit of sleep, but I, I need to go back to bed and get some more sleep. So on the way back, from so I said, did all the kissy-kissy and, you know, speak to you tomorrow morning, blah, 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 blah. Walked home. And I got halfway home and I thought, I've got this craving for Chinese food. <laughs> I don't know why, I've just had a burger, but I was craving. So I go and get sweet and sour chicken, sweet and sour pork, and char siu pork, which is that thinly sliced pork over sort of uh, bean sprouts or whatever else. I can't remember what it was over. Anyway, it was all very nice indeed. So I take it home, and I thought to myself, because, you know, if if you're having a Chinese, you're sitting there by yourself, there's no point in putting it all in different dishes, because that's a bit stupid. You know, I'm not sitting in the restaurant. So I pour it all into one dish. The whole lot. So it's in a nice dish. And uh, I've discovered that if, if you buy these cheap little um, tinfoil plates, like, like the, the type that the food comes in, you could just throw it away afterwards. And there's no washing up. What a godsend. So that's what I did. Poured it all in there. It's all very nice indeed. And then I promptly fell asleep. And unfortunately, when I fell asleep, because I had it resting on my legs, obviously my legs opened for reasons best known to themselves. Try and, try, and, try and get this image, I'm afraid. It's not a good image. It's not a good image. <laughs> not the best of times. And, um, and, so, and, and also, I've taken my jeans off. OK, I've taken my jeans off. So I'm sitting Because I'm relaxing at home. If there was a fire, it would be a problem. But there was no fire. And I fall asleep and I wake up. My legs have opened and I've emptied the sweet and sour chicken, the sweet and sour pork and the char siu pork over the settee. Now, my settee is red. Okay, so I've now got all this sauce over it. To make matters worse, it's dripped onto the floor, onto my Chinese rug. I've got this huge Chinese uh, oval rug, which is dragons and everything else. It's beautiful. It's sort of red and black and and all the and and now it's it, now it's got half a ton of sweet and sour sauce on it. So that that wasn't the bad bit. The bad bit was standing up and realizing that my my underwear is soaked with sweet and sour sauce, which, as you know is very sticky and very orangey. And so I start, I'll go, oh, no. You know, you look as though you've hemorrhaged in between sort of falling asleep and waking up again. So I stand up, only to then realise that it's running down my legs as well. 
So this is, this is not a good look on a Saturday. So I then have to sort of go to the kitchen, I'll, you know, wring out cloths and everything else, mop it all up off the settee, put a towel on it, dry it out, get the hairdryer. Didn't get the hairdryer, couldn't be bothered, to be honest. And uh, mopped it up off the carpet, threw all the rest of the food away, that was fine. And luckily I had a big, big towel, wrapped everything up in that, and then sort of threw it in the washing machine. I thought, right, that'll stay in the washing machine. Go to the bathroom... And suddenly realised that the that the red sauce, the orange sauce, which seems to permeate everything, was now running down the back of my legs. And it's not an attractive look. So I then decided I wasn't going to have Chinese again that weekend, but I did. Because I had it on the Saturday as well, which didn't help. Anyway, so uh, all in all, a very exciting weekend. Uh, did watch television, did watch the film Behind the Candelabra, the Liberace story. Very interesting. The one thing that struck me was that, and, and we only came up with this theory the other day, the film is, is very good, it deals with Liberace, who was a big star in Las Vegas, he earned a lot of money, he was a, a piano player from Wisconsin, um, he was gay, he was very flamboyant, he was called Mr Showmanship, and the idea was that each contract said he had to be more outrageous with the costumes and the rings, and everything. but if you actually itemise the show, it was, it was a very simple show. He came on, he played the piano, the piano turned round, he had some cheap dancing waters at the back, and uh, he'd bring on some dancers from Paraguay, whatever it was. It was a cheap Vegas show, but at the time, it was, it was geared around him for the clothes that he wore. The film, Behind the Candelabra, is based on the relationship he had with a guy called Scott. Scott was taken, and they airbrushed this bit out of history. He was taken by Cary Grant, because Cary Grant, as you know, swung. He was, he was uh, both sides of the fence. And he took him to see the Liberace show. Scott was working in a, as a, a veterinarian's assistant... Uh, Lee had a problem with one of his dogs, and so he said, well, I'll, I'll get this ointment. We've got this ointment, and it cures up poodles and does all sorts. Anyway, so whatever it was. So he then phones Lee, says, I've got this stuff. I'll put it in the post. And Lee goes, well, you don't need to bother about that. Why don't you fly out here? So, of course, he flew him out here. Now, you should have seen the warning signs, you know, when somebody says fly out here. This is a, this is a very, very gay, flamboyant performer. Anyway, Scott flies out, and, uh, and then he sort of he moves in. He basically becomes the next Liberace boyfriend. And as with all of Liberace's boyfriends, they were there for a certain amount of time. He put them in the shows, and then when he tired of them, he, he just went on to somebody else. But he was very generous. He bought them, you know, rings, and they had all sorts of things. Unfortunately, Scott turned to, uh, to cocaine because he could see that Liberace was going off him. And it's, it's so well done, the film. It's very clever. At one point, though, Michael Douglas does play the piano. He actually can play, because it credits him at the very end. Uh, but the one thing that they don't do, they don't, if anybody who's ever followed Liberace knows, it's his catchphrases. Liberace was known for the... He would use the same lines in every show. He'd look at the audience and go, I may not be good, but I got guts. And he'd do that and he'd go, you want to see the rings? You should. You paid for them. That kind of stuff. And, but some of the lines they've changed in the film. And I said to a friend of mine yesterday, I said the only thing that was odd was that they changed some of his, his catchphrases. And, and a friend of mine said, has it ever occurred to you that his catchphrases might be copyright with the Liberace Foundation? And I said, well, that's never even crossed my mind. It's very clever, though, the film. Very clever, but sad at the end. Liberace dies of, a, of an AIDS-related illness. And uh, they made a documentary on the television because they had him embalmed quite quickly. He died, and they got him embalmed, and the coroner of Las Vegas, a rather evil man, as far as I'm concerned, decided he was going to have his, uh, his time in the limelight. And so as Liberace's body was being taken across the desert for burial, the coroner, evil little man, went, bring him back. 
and they made the hearse turn round and come back because he wanted an autopsy. He wanted to prove that Liberace had died of something other than a watermelon diet. And that's why he was an evil little so-and-so. He really was. I, I loathed him from the moment I first saw him. Because, you know, Liberace by that time, big star, it didn't make any difference to anybody what he died of. It made no difference, you know, whether or not he was gay or whether he was straight or whether he swung from chandeliers. I couldn't care less. But this evil evil person decided that they were calling him back but because the body had been embalmed it was a bit more difficult to find out what he died of so they had to do skin tissue and stuff like that but either 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 way there was then an autopsy and i'm told and i'm so glad i've not seen that there are pictures of of him on the coroner's slab because they take pictures of autopsies and as far as i'm concerned that's sort of the ignominious end isn't it to somebody who was a big star and then ends up on a slab, you know, with their chest opened up and everything else so that they could take out the little bits and pieces. And you think, you know, it was so unnecessary. It didn't need, didn't need to be done at all. And I think Liberace would be sitting up there on his cloud going, what have you done to me? You know, he was never a bad person. He was, you know, he was just a bloke who lived for playing the piano. Never played at home, though. Never played at home. He couldn't bear to play at home. He learnt how to play the piano and he played professionally. But like me, me going home and doing an interview with the milkman or something like that, you know. Because that's what I do for a living. I talk to people and I, I do a programme, you know. If I have a long conversation with the postman, you know, seen as part of the programme. But it was, it was a very interesting film. It was just that there were certain bits of it. You felt a bit sad at the end. And the houses have fallen into disrepair. They're trying to, you know, the museum is no, the, no longer there. That's all gone into mothballs. The costumes still exist. But they do a documentary on the on the making of the film. And that was the interesting bit with Michael Douglas. And they, they showed you some of Liberace's original costumes, saying there was no way that Michael Douglas could have worn these in the film because they were too heavy. I mean, they weighed a tonne. They weighed an absolute tonne. But that's what Liberace did. There's, there's been nobody like him at all. You know, there are other people in Las Vegas, but there's, there's nobody that did what Liberace was doing. You know, he was always trying to say, you know, people would say, it's only women that go to your shows. He went, no, no, some men too. And, uh, and there were. Oh, I did tweet the other day, because they, I, was, I, was having a, I was having a phone conversation the other day, and we've, we've, uh, every month we have the, the schedules out, and they're already doing Christmas. So um, they said to me the other day, they said, oh, right, now this is what you're doing over Christmas. I love that. This is what you're doing over Christmas, which, of course, suits me fine. They said, uh, Christmas Day, 7 till 10. Boxing Day, 7 till 10, and then the next day back to normal. And then the following week, I've got another day. I think it must be New Year's Day where I'm doing 7 till 10, which is, which is quite nice, actually. It suits me fine. So then I could phone my brother and say, by the way, Christmas Day this year, I'll do the programme. Then I'll tiddle off home. And I think he said piddle off home. I don't know why I was piddling off home. But <laughs> tiddle off home, pick up the car, and then drive down. We'll have Christmas, because there's going to be... One, two, three, four, five. There's going to be seven of us for Christmas lunch, which, I th- as far as I'm concerned, that's quite enough people. Anything more than that, it turns into a bit of a riot. So seven of us for, for Christmas lunch. And I'm quite looking forward to it. Already, I'm getting excited about Christmas lunch. It's odd, isn't it? Because I haven't had little sausages with bacon wrapped round for ages and ages. I like my crispy roast potatoes. I like... Um, I like anything actually doing Christmas lunch. So I'm going to have two this year. Well, I think I'll end up with two. One with, uh, with my brother and the family, and then one with my gorgeous godchildren, which I'm looking forward to. I think that'll probably be about another ten of us or something for the following day. So again, over the Christmas period, I'm going to be putting on so much weight. So much. But it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It's Christmas and you've got to think about it already. So already I'm saying to people, not, not round here, but, you know, people, you know, what do you want for Christmas? 
Because like, you need to know in advance, and it's you, know, you need to start planning these things. And, uh, yeah, just, just let, you let me know. You let me know. Okay. A head teacher. Who's going to start lessons in, wait for it, Conkers. Conkers. Have you ever heard of such a thing? John Catamole spotted pupils at the school, I'll tell you where it is in a moment, uh, looking quizzically at horse chestnuts which had fallen from a tree. Not a remedial school, is it? Or something. Looking quizzically at horse chestnuts. Anyway, he held a game during assembly and discovered that 95% of his pupils had no idea what to do with Conkers. Now Mr Catamole has written to parents requesting their permission to teach pupils about the game. What? God, is this the dumbest school ever? Where is this? Littleport Primary School, Cambridgeshire. Woo, big up for Cambridgeshire. Dumber, 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 dumber. Conquer lessons. Have you ever heard of such a thing? Have you ever heard of such a thing? Conquer lessons. Because he did a quiz in the... I mean, I don't know what age these kids are. But 95% of them had no idea. So conkers fall from the trees and they go, Ooh, conkers. What are they? We'll have a lesson. We'll have a lesson to explain what conkers are. So he's had to write to the parents asking if he can have permission to explain. And he's reassured parents he's gone through health and safety checks. You lose the will to live, don't you? You absolutely lose the will to live. If you lived in Cambridgeshire, get the heck out as quick as possible. They're as dumb as brooms up there, I'm afraid. Absolutely awful. Oh, crikey. Lessons on conkers. I don't remember, actually. I mean, don't, don't other children know what conkers are? Perhaps they think they're to make necklaces out of. I don't know. Oh, look, conkers, conkers, horse chestnuts. What are they? I don't know. Let's ask in, in assembly, shall we? Blimey, I tell you. I'm so glad I never went to school in Cambridgeshire. Bad enough where I was, but I mean, Cambridgeshire. Ghastly, I'm afraid. Ghastly. Uh, Ian says, I took my six-year-old son to look for conkers yesterday. Over a hundred collected in ten minutes. Yeah. I mean, there's conkers. We used to take them out. Everybody did different things, didn't they? To make yours harder than anybody else. What did you do? We either baked it in the oven or we soaked it in vinegar. And then you had a skewer and you push it through. Then you go, ouch, jumped into my plastic finger and you put it through there in a bit of string and you take it to school and then you'd have a tenner or a twentier or something like that but we never had lessons in conkers because we were fairly intelligent as children and there are two words that you never hear together in the same sentence cambridge and intelligence let's have a quick break here but when we're back we discuss the traditional christmas in the allen household lbc 97.3 this is london's biggest conversation with the best of steve allen LBC 97.3. This is London's biggest conversation with the best of Steve Allen. Welcome back. Earlier this week, I decided to delve back into LBC's past. You could stand in the middle of Leicester Square in about ten minutes' time with a film crew and you would attract a crowd. People would stand behind you going, ah, woo, like they do on all the newscasts. I remember that one years ago. We had a very famous piece on LBC. And it was... <laughs> I can't remember the reporter's name, but I can picture it in my mind. And uh, she was off doing a, a piece. And what they used to do then, they would send the reporter out. In this particular case, I think she was, uh, she was up north somewhere. She'd been sent up north to cover this story. And then she would file. She would phone our master control and say, Hi, it's uh, Heather Bramwell or whoever it is. And I'm going to finally go, OK, hang on. Record and play. OK, Heather. And she'd go, coming to you in three, two, one. 
down here in, or up here in Somerset, or wherever it happens to be, blah, blah, blah. And they would do their report, and then they'd sign off, and then the master control would cut the interview and give it to the relevant programme. In this particular case, we didn't have mobile phones. We, ha- we used to have a thing called a Comrex. And a Comrex was where you could... It was like, um, it was like a little connecting thing. You uns- it was a bit like James Bond. You unscrewed the receiver... The, uh, the speaking piece in a, in a telephone, and you connected up two little crocodile clips into the back of it so you could transmit down the, the telephone line. Sounds a bit... does sound like James Bond, doesn't it? Anyway, in this particular instance, she couldn't find a phone box that was working. It was all... So she went into a local shop, and she says to the bloke, can I borrow your phone? And he said, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so she's phoning from this shop, and she gets a minute into her little piece, going, so when, the, when the bloke goes, are you going to be much longer? And so she goes, I'm filing the report now. So she has to start again. Three, two, one. She gets a minute and a half in, and again you can hear this bloke's voice in the back. How much longer are you going to be? <laughs> Three times this happens. Three times. She's, she's getting halfway. She goes, I'm trying to finish this thing. Okay, I'll be finished in a minute. In the end she turns round and she screams at him. Why don't you just off? <laughs> And then the phone line went dead. That was the last we heard. It was so funny. It was so funny. At the time, she'd lost it. And I remember watching a reporter on the television, and they used to run it, I think, in all those great Dennis Norden programmes. And he was standing there outside the Old Bailey going, signing off, doing a sign. This is, you know, witchetty grub here. Standing outside the Old Bailey, wet, very wet, really, really hacked off. And that was his piece. And then somebody else was reporting. And behind them was somebody jumping up and down, going, hi, Mum, hi, Mum, like they do. They used to do it behind John McCrick. Luckily, he's not on television anymore. And, uh, and he'd tell me, go, will you go? Just, just go away. I hope life is good to you at the moment. You're looking forward to Christmas. It's not that far away. I'm here on Christmas Day between 7 and 10. So it's actually, it's just the right time, because what I'm going to be doing this year is the same as I've done previous years. I'm going to be sorting out your Christmas woes. And that'll be the usual thing. Have you defrosted the turkey? There's no point in waking up Christmas morning and taking your bird out the freezer and <laughs> make up your own jokes and, uh, and hoping it's going to defrost by lunchtime because it's not. It's absolutely not. You'll end up filling the bath up with hot water and soaking it in there. So remember to take your bird out the freezer. Again, make up your own jokes. The night before. So it's defrosted properly. Do remember as well, take out the giblets. There'll be a little plastic bag in there with things in that you don't... My mother, twice, two years on the trot, two years on the trot, actually left the giblets in. And we go to carve the turkey. My my brother's saying, the giblets are still in it. And she went... Because my mother didn't drink. She was... Well, I say she didn't drink. She would have one sherry a year at Christmas. And that was enough to send her completely round the barmy. And for Christmas, we always used to have the same. We had the turkey with the trimmings. Always traditional Christmas for us, never anything else. you know. We, and we've eaten out. Last year, our family, we ate out. And we've decided this year we're not going to eat at home. You know, because it's just as cheap to eat at home. I know it takes away the... And I've said before, I've been a big advocate of going out somewhere. But it's so blooming expensive to eat Christmas out. And you've got to book up so far in advance. I think Chris and Sharon have already booked the, the Christmas... Uh, restaurant for this year. So anyway, so this most years, my mother would do the Christmas pudding. She would make her own Christmas pudding. There was no no buying anything. You know, she's one of those old people who who baked. Those old fashioned people who actually baked. I know lots of people now who still bake. So when they do it on the television, 
Thin girl winning? I don't know. And, um, and so she was good. So she'd make two Christmas puddings every year. We'd have one and eat last year's. Sorry, she'd save one and eat last year's. So there was always enough puddings to go round. And she would do the sherry trifle. And my mother was very good at making a sherry. She would make it from scratch. She would make the custard. She would, you know, whip the cream up. She'd get the... Fr- she'd do everything. It was a proper trifle. And I can remember the bowl of it now. Unfortunately, my mother would be one of those people over Christmas... She'd be making the sherry trifle, a little nip at the same time. So occasionally there would be in the sitting room watching television on sort of Christmas morning because uh, my mum had been up early to put the turkey in the oven and uh, some, some years it had been on a low heat all night so it would really be absolutely moist and lovely. And so we'd be sitting watching television. All of a sudden you'd hear from the kitchen... <laughs> <laughs> like that. And we'd, we'd sit there, we'd because it was the same... It was, it was routine most years... <laughs> and we go into the kitchen, and my mother, who the sherry by this time had attacked her brain cells, would be kneeling in front of the cooker, the tears sobbing out of her with laughter. She would cry with laughter. Everything was funny. The whole thing. I'd say, you can do the potatoes. <laughs> she couldn't manage anything at all. It was so funny, you know, and she said, I'll be all right, I'll be all right. <laughs> <laughs> she just collapsed. And I always said, listen, don't ever let her near the sherry, for God's sake. It was it was just hopeless. She'd be on her knees trying to sort of open the oven door to baste the potatoes and do all the rest of it. Very funny. So I used to love sherry trifles. So on Christmas Day this year, I'll be on just the right time for you to wake up. We can, we can do Christmas wishes. I know I'm mentioning this and we're not even in November. But I thought I'd mention it now, just so you can, you know, you can sort of make yourself aware of what's, what's going to be happening on Christmas morning, whether you like it or not. And so I thought we might even, pff, brace yourself, might take calls as well uh, on your Christmas woes and be all the usual sort of things. And, you know, if you've got loved ones abroad that you didn't send a card to and stuff like that, then we can do that. Or, you know, we'll just do Christmas wishes for everybody. We'll sort of, we'll bring the whole family in together for this one. So I'm expecting you Christmas morning. Put it in your diary. Make a note on the advent calendar, Steve Allen, Christmas morning, 7 till 10. I only mention it now in case it might slip your mind. And I might, of course, never mention it ever again. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, I wanted to tell you about my friend's daughter, says Karen. Uh, Georgina is a budding chef and currently works for a Michelin star chef in Cornwall. Just been awarded the Observer Young Chef of the Year at the age of 19. She's such an inspiration. I'm very proud of her. She works hard and so deserves it. Many youngsters get bad press for being nothing but trouble, but she's proven there are some excellent and focused young people. So there you go. So Georgina, well done. You've had your mention. And if you're uh, Observer Young Chef of the Year, even better. Even better. And uh, this one here, Jonathan says, I turned on television to see a woman crying, being supported by a friend. I thought, what disaster had occurred? A child kidnapped to death? A chance of singing stardom blown by a Miss High C? No, none of that. It was because a tart didn't come out right and she was off the show. I changed channels immediately. Yes, thin one. Uh, I don't care. Do you know what, to be honest with you, I really don't care. I don't care if people are watching this thing. Oh, pretty, oh, I care. No, you don't. You sniff crisp packets. You're just odd. You're very, very peculiar. Malcolm says they've already done the only way is Blackpool. It's a 999 call with somebody saying, what's your emergency? Thank you. And uh, Dean says nobody can make a Christmas pudding as good as Prince Charles. Have you tried the Dutchie original? Well, I mean, it's the best one I ever had was uh, an Anton Mossiman Christmas pudding. I, I held on to it for three years and then I took it down to my brother's and we had it. And it was after three years, it was delicious. An Anton Mossiman Christmas pudding. The Heston Blumenthal ones are very good. 
I do like Teston Blumenthal. I don't care. You know, people get, oh, he's this, he's that. He's ever such a nice guy. You know, you meet a lot of people in this business. And believe you me, I meet a lot of people. And, uh, and he was just charming. He was so charming. They whizzed him about all over the building. He was doing interviews here, there and everywhere. Coming up to the festive season, most people like a, a relationship, don't they? You know, if, if you're single, you're probably thinking, oh, whereas I'm, I'm thinking, what a bonus. What a bonus. Don't have to pay for a present for somebody. Don't have to send a Christmas card. You can be by yourself. You can, you can eat as many of those liqueur chocolates that you want. I discovered in Iceland a short while ago, don't they still do them? They were strawberries covered in chocolate. The only problem was the chocolate wasn't particularly great quality. So if ever you're thinking of doing that, that's a really good thing for Christmas. In fact, now you should be putting your apples away if you've got a little orchard thing or some trees going on. Apples wrapped in uh, brown paper or newspaper put out in the shed. We always used to do it. People used to plan. You know, we'd have things hanging up. It was a real great time in that great programme, the Victorian... uh, the Victorian, what was it, kitchen garden. And also there was this other couple who went back. There was a whole family, I think. They went back and started living, as they would have done in Victorian times. And for Christmas, they were planning everything. You know, you start doing it now, so by the time you actually get to Christmas, it's all done for you. And I loved it. I just thought things like that reminded me of my childhood in Yorkshire, when, you know, you'd go out and play in the snow, then you'd come in and you could smell Christmas lunch. Oh, it's delicious. The smell of turkey. Apologies to vegetarians, you know, who probably can't stand the smell of turkey, which must be a bit of a pain over the festive season. And it was just wonderful. The butcher's shops, you know, with the turkeys hanging up. I know Sandy's in, in Twickenham. They have a queue that runs the length of the road for people who've ordered their Christmas turkeys. And Stuart and all the guys, they hand out mulled wine. I've never been lucky enough to get any mulled wine in there, but I'm, I'm hoping to. And uh, they, they sort of do pre... And it's festive. They do their Christmas lights. It's a, it's a festive shop. It's, if it didn't smell of fish, it'd be fine. <laughs> and also White Wellingtons. What's going on there? White Well, They've all got these blue things on. They're always... Everybody looks smart. They've got this fish. And I do look at it. I just can't... Can't kind of get off on the idea. I've, I've tried and it just doesn't work for me. Fish fingers is about as far as I go and a bit of scampi. Occasionally, some uh, some place, but uh, but I don't want to see it. So long as there's some batter on it, then I'll eat it. Don't forget, in half an hour, you'll hear from Helen Lederer, James Corden, and Stephen Merchant as they join me for in conversation. But now, the latest news at five thirty. LBC ninety seven point three. This is London's biggest conversation with the best of Steve Allen. Morning. You're listening to the best of Steve Allen this Sunday morning. Coming up in half an hour, I'm in conversation with Helen Lederer, James Corden and Stephen Merchant. But for now, my best bits. And as usual, I spent the week doing what I do best. Waking up London. Rise and shine. Come on, get up, get out of bed kind of thing. I know you don't want to. I didn't want to this morning, actually. I sort of lay there and I do I do throw myself out of bed. When the alarms go off and I have three. Beep, 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 beep. Beep, beep. I bought them in the pound shop. Little, little cheap alarms for a quid. You know, they just work on an AA battery, and by God, you don't hang around with them. Beep, 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 beep. Beep, 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 beep. Beep, 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 beep. And it gets louder and louder, and you just you hit, hit the top of it. They're dead cheap, but, I mean, it's, it's three of them, and I wake up. I'm always awake just a bit before the alarms. You lie there thinking, I wonder what time it is. I don't really want to look. I like a surprise. Oh, beep, 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 beep. And it's horrible. And you get out of bed, and I throw myself into the bathroom. We do the usual thing. We And uh, pick up the... Uh, <laughs> doesn't everybody and you pick up the razor and in the kitchen push the button make the cup of coffee 
because uh, I've got this, this water, this Breville machine, which you pour water in and you push a button and it delivers hot boiling water into the cup. So you don't actually have to physically pour anything, you just put the cup underneath it. And so I pour me a little, put a little sachet of Starbucks coffee in there, make that, totter into the sitter room, turn the television on, check the computer... I'm a, a great creature of habit, quite clearly, because I do the same thing every morning. I check my phone. Anything arrived on the phone? No, that's OK. Something from last night, but that's all right. I can check with that later. And uh, then check on the computer, check the emails from work, see if there's anything interesting, see if, you know, if anybody's sort of, you know, leaving or doing... I don't know. i just like to find out what's going on. No, that was all right. Sit down in front of the television, take my tablets uh, with water. So I, so I empty the tablets dry into my mouth at six in the morning. And, uh, and then it's a quick slurp of water, and then I drink the coffee, and then I start shaving, and I'm watching the programme, and uh, whatever happens to be on, I watch a little bit of those, those dreadfully naff roulette things with a few sort of presenters who couldn't care less whether you're going bust or not. They say, you know, don't remember. You know, remember, act sensibly when you're playing it. These people are off their trolleys half the time. I've got a story for you. I've got a story for you. And and I got a little bit annoyed. And I don't get annoyed over things like that. But somebody was telling me a story yesterday. Two stories. In fact, two things happened to them. They were cycling on a Boris bike up Pall Mall. OK. And so they're going up uh, Pall Mall. Da, 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 da. Cycling away. Now, cycling in London's fairly dangerous, as you know, because you've probably seen. There's lots of accidents in London. A lot of people lose their lives. It's, quite, it's, it's a dangerous thing because cars don't see. And because there are a lot of people driving around London with no tax, no insurance, no MOT, and they're disqualified and they shouldn't be in the country anyway, it becomes even more dangerous. So this friend of mine is cycling along and a car overtakes him and cuts him up. It overtakes him to do a sharp left, literally missing him by pff, half an inch, he said. Half an inch. This thing just sweeps in across. Anyway, um, he just thinks, oh, blow me down. You know, as you do. Oh, oh, bother. You know, that was a bit of a bit of a nuisance, wasn't it? Anyway, then, two police on motorbikes overtake him, stop the car who has cut him up. Take him out to the side of the pavement, and uh, this friend of mine, one of the other police motorcyclists, then comes back to this person I know, and uh, and says, "We saw that. Do you want to prosecute this other bloke who's driving the car? The minicab can't speak any English at all. Well, he claims he can't speak any English, so you know he's a rogue cab driver. So the police say to this uh, this person I know, uh, listen, we saw what happened there. Do you want to prosecute? You know, do you want to take it to court? And he goes." As long as he apologises, that's all right. I said, you should have you should have gone to court. should have taken this low life off the road. This bloke can't speak English and he's driving in London. So he quite clearly doesn't understand how it works. He probably couldn't give a stuff whether he killed you or not. And he said, oh, well, anyway. So anyway, so he then sort of, you know, cycles on his way. The police go, OK, fair enough. I said, you should have gone to court with it. You should have gone to court. should have gone for a prosecution. But he didn't. So he then comes a bit further up and he gets round the back here and he's in... This, uh, this road here, the Charing Cross Road. And the somebody sprawled in the middle of the pavement, arms out, looking like the crucifixion, quite clearly drunk. So this friend of mine, this is where it becomes interesting, uh, goes up to him, and there's people stepping over him. He's, he's completely off his trolley, you know, as people are. How they ever get out of pubs by themselves? Perhaps they don't have any friends, I don't know. Anyway, so he was, he was out drunk. So this friend that I know leans over him and slaps him, on the side of the face to wake him up. And so, well, well, well. And he goes, listen, mate, you need, to, you need to sit up. You can't lie here in the middle of the pavement. 
And, um, oh, I'm drunk, I'm drunk, I'm drunk. And he goes, yeah, OK. So he props him up against a wall. And the bloke's going, oh, so drunk. I go, where am I? What happened? And he said, well, I don't know. You must have fallen over or something like that. Anyway, this, this bloke who's from the East End, you know, can't talk like that. You know, a bit of South of the River, all that kind of stuff. You know, hello, treacle. And um, the next thing, four blokes turn up. Four, let's just call them for the purposes of this, this programme, people who speak English like this. Don't worry, he our friend. And this friend of mine thought, they're going to mug him. They're going to mug him. They're looking for people like this. He said, and I walked away, knowing that these four blokes, who quite clearly weren't his friend, he said, and I could see they weren't his friend, um, were going to rob him. They were going to take his phone. They'd help him to his feet, take his phone and his wallet and anything else he's got on him, and then just leave him there. He's drunk. They circle this area. They're looking for people like that. They're looking to thieve and to rob them. And And I said to him, I said, why didn't you call the police? He said... I don't know. He said, I just thought, he said, I thought I'd helped. I said, do you not realise that if this bloke goes to the police when eventually he sobers up and he suddenly realises he hasn't got his phone, he hasn't got his flat keys, he hasn't got his wallet, he's got nothing at all. He's going to go to the police and say, I was, I think I've been mugged and I was out here. They're going to look at the CCTV. They're going to see you coming along, slapping him round the face, propping him up against a wall. Four blokes come down there and rob him and you wander off. They're going to think you're the ringleader. And he said, oh, I never thought about that. I said, but that's the dangerous thing. You, you knew he was going to be robbed and you walked away from him. On the CCTV, he said, but I was just helping. I said, yeah, but the CCTV doesn't show help. It shows you coming and slapping him around the face. It doesn't look good. Next thing is there could be a, a photo fit picture of you in the newspapers going, do you know this man? And we'll have to go, oh, my God, I do. I do know that person. Because the, these gangs roam round here. London is unsafe. You must be aware at night. You know, it's a bit like the Crime Watch programme. We're not saying everywhere is, is unsafe, but you've just got to be aware of what's, what's going on. I would never get drunk in London. I'm not saying I haven't been drunk in London. As I would never knowingly try to get drunk in London because it's just, it's just not safe. And if I did, I'd make sure I didn't have a wallet or a phone on me. You know, I can actually, I can actually go out without things like that and just put a few quid in, in my pocket. But people go out now, they go from work, they've got their wallets, their keys, they've got identity, they've got everything on them. But I said on the CCTV, it's going to look like, well, I wonder who you are. These guys we've seen before. They rob round here on a regular basis if we could catch them. But who's that other little person? Oh, my God. Strange, isn't it? Anyway, I, you might have done the same thing. I said next time... Walk on by, I'm afraid. You have to walk on by. You don't want to get involved. Getting involved can be can be detrimental. I was saying the other day, the one thing that makes me proud is that we've now got the uh, the poppies on sale, the metal poppies or the paper poppies, but the money goes to the Royal British Legion. You should only ever, ever buy a poppy from the Royal British Legion unless a percentage of the money that you're giving goes to the British Legion. You shouldn't buy from any company. As I said the other day, I think we had the Bradford Exchange and they're selling it. No money goes to the British Legion at all. They're just selling a poppy. Wear it with, wear it with pride, they say, to sort of remember a loved one. No, sod off. I'm terribly sorry. You buy it from the British Legion. That's what they do. They look after the war dead, the war graves and everything else. That's who you give your money to. It's as simple as that. I can't make it any more, any more clear. I'm, I'm reading Amanda Holden's autobiography at the moment. It's called No Holding Back. And she starts at a hotel, and you'll, you'll know this story because when we went to Santa Monica to interview Julie Andrews a few years ago, we stayed in the next hotel. 
Casadel something. And next to the hotel that we were on, on the beach, because we were actually on the beach, is Shutters. Shutters is a very well-known hotel. And surprisingly, Amanda Holden's book starts in Shutters. It's her favourite hotel. She said, the rooms are not huge. But the uh, the food, she has her own table in the canteen, in the canteen, in the restaurant there. And we had, Amanda and I had uh, had dinner there. I had to keep her off the booze. She was a bit funny on booze. And uh, But every morning, because on Santa Monica, it's got a lovely pier with a funfair on it, with a ferris wheel, which lights up at night. And from my hotel room, I can just about see it with a telescope. And, uh, and that was lovely. But every morning, she would walk down to the water. It's like half a mile away. The beach is so big in Santa Monica. Yesterday... I was uh, I was uh, chatting away to somebody who's going to be featured on this week's edition of In Conversation. That's Stephen Merchant. We have three people this week on In Conversation, three guests. Um, and Stephen Merchant has been over there because he has his series, Hello Ladies, which you must see. You better get it on DVD very shortly. And it's about it's I mean, it's a sitcom based in America on a true and he's based in Santa Monica in Los Angeles, based on the idea of a six foot seven inch guy who can't find a woman to go out with. And he said, in Los Angeles, it's very difficult. He said, you meet somebody in a club. He said, but they're, they're looking over your shoulder to see if there's somebody more famous that they can hook up with. Hook being the operative word, I should imagine. And, and he said it's difficult here. He finds it very difficult to get girlfriends. So his, his programme has mirrored his life. So we were talking about Santa Monica, and I said, the only thing you would see in the morning, no matter what time you got up, people running. You've got the sand and you've got this concrete path that sort of meanders through it at the back with palm trees. It's very nice. And you can run along to Venice Beach. I think we walked to Venice, but bloody long walk. I I managed it even with my condition. And so we walked up there because we were recording bits after we did Julie Andrews. We thought we'd wander up there. That was lovely. But every morning she would walk down to the water and she'd swim in the in the sea. And it's lovely. I mean, it is nice. And Stephen Merchant said, how could you not like it over there? It's amazing. He said, it's the weather. Well, in fact, a friend of mine has just come back because he said he couldn't stand the hot. He said, it's only hot weather. He said, Stephen Merchant said it rained twice when he was over there. And I said, I would like to see a bit more water than that, I'm afraid. (laughs) Not quite as much as we've got over here at the moment. It's been rain, rain, rain all week. Let's take a quick break. When we're back, we talk graduates who unfortunately cannot spell. LBC 97.3. This is London's biggest conversation with the best of Steve Allen. LBC 97.3. This is London's biggest conversation with the best of Steve Allen. Welcome back. Earlier this week, my least favourite Apprentice contestant was back in the news again. Picture of that... uh, Dreadfully dull and boring stellar English, your five minutes is up, love. It's up. Go away. She's, she's, she's all over anybody who she thinks can get her more attention. You've had your five minutes, love. Go away. All right? Go and stack shelves. Go and do something useful. Don't, you know, all this sort of naff things, you know, ha- who can I hang around with? Oh, I'm having business meetings, this kind of thing. Uh, who was I offered the other day? Danny Dyer I was offered the other day as an interview. He's just had a company go under as well. That's what we were saying on the programme, that it's good that he's, uh, that he's actually sort of got the job on, on EastEnders, which is better. Jan's in Basildon. Good morning. Sarah's in Chiswick. She said, I've, I've got the flu. Oh, God. You see, what did I say to people? Get the injection. Get the, get the in- injection. You know, you need that, that flu jab. I know, it, I know people. I mean, I told you the other day, a friend of mine, who'll be cleaning my car a bit later on today with a bit of luck, um... He's frightened of injections, so he won't go and get it. 
he will not go and get the... Fl- I've said, listen, you need it. Because if, if we're going to have a bad winter, and if it's going to be cold, and if you work in an environment where they've got air conditioning or somebody's got flu... I remember there was a very famous presenter... I won't tell you who it is, because they're very famous and they're not a million miles away from me here later on this morning. If somebody came in the studio and they started going, achoo, like they say, don't listen, don't come into work with flu or with a cold. It doesn't matter whatever it is. Just stay away, because unfortunately in our business, and he was quite right, he said, if, if we're ill, we can't work. And remember I had that dreadful coughing fit, which in the end, the management quite rightly said, listen, we, th- we think you need to, to stay at home and sort of rest your voice. But I couldn't get through. A, I couldn't get through ten minutes without coughing. It was quite bad. In fact, it was worse than quite bad. It was. In fact, I thought I had some dreadful illness. I thought I contracted something. But whatever you get, you sort of pick it up from people. So if somebody in the office is sitting there going, "Achoo!" Remember that advert? Oh, mum. And you go, oh dear, it's horrible. I know it's not nice. Most most of the time, people have colds. It's not flu. If you've got full blown flu and you're in a high risk category like I am, it can be absolutely devastating. Oh, by the way, the nail's not fallen off yet. I moved it again the other day. I'm going to have to go to the doctor with it, I've decided. It's the only way forward, ladies and gentlemen. I mean, having told us that people in London are the most miserable, I'm a bit depressed by that. I thought we were a fairly cheerful lot. I mean, I can be miserable at this time. Well, I'm never miserable, actually. I don't, I don't do miserable. I mean, I really don't do miserable. I can, I can feel a bit under the weather, but I don't do miserable. I'm a fairly happy little soul. Somebody said to me, I said, why are you not smiling? I said, well, you can't walk around with a grin on your face all the time. You look a bit as about, about to be arrested by the police. So I, I don't do the happy smiling all the time because it looks a bit stupid. But uh, at the end of the day, I thought we were fairly happy with our lot in London. We've got, you know, weather doesn't bother us. Well, I mean, what is there to be miserable about in London? I suppose if, if you're ill, then you, then you could possibly be a little bit miserable. Gary Lineker has shattered his Mr Nice Guy image, and he apparently tells pushy parents to shut the... up, rude word, taken out, and let kids enjoy football. He blames the aggressive attitude for England's footballing failures. This is the man whose claim to fame is he advertises crisps. That's it. And he's got a son called George, who desperately tries to sort of, you know, cop off with girls by saying, I'm George Lineker. And they go, go away, silly boy. (laughs) Uh, The gypsies covered up the girls' neglect... Maria, room and toys were all faked. This is what the Sun are saying today. This is the Roma gypsies. Uh, and uh, a mystery humming noise. Forcing people from their homes could be the sound of fish. Fish. Desperate for sex. Not in our local fish and chip show. That's the last thing they're thinking about, I'm afraid, there. Apparently, fed-up locals have been kept awake for a week by this nightly drone. I didn't know fish made any noise. I really had no idea. They believe it, uh, it comes from midshipman fish looking for females to mate with in an estuary near Hythe in Hampshire. It can go on for hours, apparently. I feel like driving down there to hear it. Never heard of such a thing, have you? Fish making a noise, looking for for other fish. There you go. Valerie's in Shepherd's Bush. I'm not saying good morning to a five-day-old grandson, for God's sake. He's five! Five days old! God, he never... Come back, come back when, when he's 12 and he knows what he's listening to on the radio. Uh, if ever I graduate from uni says Daniel, uh, I hope you get a good job to one day... Sorry, I hope you get... Oh, okay. I'll tell you, you're, you, you're a graduate, are you? And you can't even write. What hope is there for the future? If ever... If I ever graduate from uni, I hope you get a good job and then blow it all and declare bankruptcy. Darling, you're never going to graduate from uni. You're as thick as a plank. There's no chance you're ever going to graduate. Don't be silly. You can't even write. 
And you're at uni. God, the standard must have gone down a bit, isn't it? Quite a bit. <laughs> no butts, we should eat butter. Yeah, I don't, I don't do low-fat spread. Isn't low-fat spread the most boring thing under the sun? I hate people going, oh, I'm going to have some low-fat spread. It's got olive oil in it. You know, it's got this. I couldn't care less. I couldn't care. I, I just, I do all, all the fatty stuff. Somebody said to me once, because I've been enjoying creme fraiche, half-fat creme fraiche, which is nice. And then somebody said to me, listen, it's not going to make any difference. Just eat full-fat cream. You're not exactly going to be having it every day dolloped on top of your coffee or your tea, are you? I said, no. Occasionally, I might have, this is where, I, this is where I'm wasteful, because I don't do a little tiny pot of, of dolloping cream or spooning cream, as they call it. They do, it's sort of, it's, it's a reasonable, it's far, way too much for me. I could do with something about a third the size. But anyway, so I buy raspberries, fresh raspberries, and I put a dollop of cream on there, and that's, that's a little treat for me. I don't exactly do it very much, but I do, I do do it. And says that uh, we've moved to Malaysia. Actually, a friend of mine is going, oh, you know who's going to Malaysia? Oh, I've just remembered, it's the producer, I can't remember the producer's name. I see him every morning, I've got no idea who he is. He kind of wanders in and he's just, he's just irritating. I don't want to be sort of rude. Ever since, actually, the funny thing is, ever since he's been on the programme, and it seems like way too long, the, the audience figures have gone up, but I'm not putting it down to him. I'm not, you know, I'm, not, I'm not giving anybody else any credit, apart from the fact that you've got nothing else to listen to out there. So anyway, so now Anne has moved to Malaysia, and she says, I can listen to the whole show, which starts at 11 o'clock my time. Perfect. She says, you stop me feeling homesick. <laughs> she says, keep healthy. She says, I only used to catch the last half hour of your show, so uh, needing my sleep prior to work. But she says, I listen all the time now. It's good, isn't it? You can podcast. I do encourage people to podcast. We have lots of people around the world who podcast this programme. And uh, I like to encourage as many people as possible. You get a free podcast every day, which is a little celebrity bash thing, because I think they need knocking down to size these people. Some of them are too stupid. You know, we, we bandy the word celebrity around a little little too loosely, I'm afraid. Not on this programme. We tell you the truth. So, you know, so when, when Katy Perry says she swallows 26 tablets a day and she, and she believes in aliens and she's OCD and she travels with a teddy, you know she's mad as a broomstick. Just that nobody else will tell you. Like, oh, Katie, Katy Perry, Katy. And then, of course, she was married to Russell Brand, who was telling us all sorts of unsavoury things the other day about his early life. Kevin the Milkman says the christening pictures, taking 24 hours, Steve, proves that even Prince William does not get preferential treatment at Snappy Snaps. <laughs> it's true, actually. He should have gone to somewhere else, shouldn't he? He could have got them printed off much quicker on the computer. Yes, so I'm Prince William. You'll have to work Friday, OK? I've told you, Friday the pictures will be ready. Uh, can we have some... some blo- No! Of course you can't. You should have ordered them in advance. We'll, we'll fill in another form for you a little bit later on. <laughs> uh, who's the latest actor to quit Corrie? It's uh, Chris Gascoigne, OK? Chris plays alcoholic Peter Barlow. He's going to leave next year after telling pals he's apparently knackered by the demands of the show. <laughs> Oh, dear. I can only help uh, help but say to you, like I've said to everybody else who's ever left Coronation Street, it's pretty cold out there. It's pretty cold out there. Is there life after soap? And the answer is probably not for many, many people. It really isn't. I tell you what I do like. I do like Heartbeat. I can quite get into Heartbeat. I think that's quite nice. I don't want to live there, but I, like, I don't mind watching the programme. I'm fairly good with things like that. Oh, Noreen. Noreen. Says, uh, did you see any of the christening coverage? I did. I said, I saw a little bit actually. She says, please treat the lovely producer to breakfast. Yeah, yesterday, yesterday. Wait, this, just honestly, I couldn't believe this. I have to record two in conversations today, and the uh, and the producer. 
This is this is another producer. I have two producers. <laughs> I don't know how it works. And uh, and and so I, I sent him a, a text and I said, wait a minute. Um, which studio are the two interviews in? And can you f- furnish me with one of the guests' information? So he wrote back. I've spoken to the guest. Uh, to build you a bio, which I will print for you. Also spoke to Sony to get them to courier over a copy of the album. For your listening pleasure, all will be in your box when you get in. And he then said, one of them you're doing in 2C, which is next door here, which is the little one which I've taken the picture of before. And uh, Amanda Holden is in 4B. So uh, so I, I then wrote back, lovely. I don't want to enter into dialogue and conversation with this person. So he then writes back, all good, I'll look after you. Shall we do breakfast after our interview? So I wrote back, I shouldn't think so. And he then wrote back, went, fair enough. I then wrote back a very rude word. And he says, ha, exclamation mark. I mean, by this time, it's turning into a relationship. Ha, I'd just like to look after my presenters. So I wrote back, oh, please. You know, and uh, and then then I wrote back, because I had a bit of a senior moment. I said, I can't remember the times of the interviews. So he wrote, senior age. The first one is at nine. The second one is at ten, because I said I've got to do a bit of filming. It's just for a little internal thing, uh, for five minutes. You went, OK, n- no, no worries. And I, w- I then wrote, what time are you in today? Because he's coming in from the moon or somewhere like that. And he wrote back, 9.30, why? You're trying to beg me to consider breakfast. What is it with the breakfast things? Well, I wrote back and said, you're one hell of a sick producer, aren't you? And then I wrote, stop stalking me. And that was the end of the conversation yesterday. <laughs> Can you believe it? Because he's coming in early. Do you want to go for breakfast? Why would you want to spend any more time with somebody than is absolutely necessary? I don't do it. I don't do it with this one next door here. You know, as far as I'm concerned, you, you keep them, Noreen, at arm's length. You know, keep them, keep them keen, treat them mean. You know, that way they're, they're hungry. and Because you don't want to get friendly with them. You know, because then it's because then they start phoning up, going, "Oh, I'm in Twickenham today." And you think, "Oh God!" Oh, actually, I'm away. I'm in Vegas or something like that. It's terrible. What are you eating? Why are you sitting there eating? Oh dear, honestly, he pinched one of my chocolate bars out of my uh, my bag earlier on, and I saw him ferreting through it. He's, he's he's prone to doing things like that. He's been eating lollies off the desk. We've had chocolate in the office. I don't know. Anyway, uh, Catherine looked gorgeous, says Noreen. And I'm so pleased Julia Samuel, who's the late Princess Diana's friend, is a godmother. And I heard the photographs will be available. Friday, I believe, the photos will be available. I think so. As I say, they've obviously gone to snappy snaps and it's going to take for ages, I should imagine. Apparently, the reason for the delay is the photos are being published by OK Magazine, said Howard. They're so not. Tell me they're not. They, they will have them and I'm sure that they will pay for the privilege of actually running them, which I think is interesting. Audience figures... That through the roof this time round, through the roof. If it was possible to take the roof off the building and the audience figures, to watch the, the graph go whoosh, at this time of the morning is nothing short of excitement, ladies and gentlemen. So even more people are listening. And I can only thank you. Well, those are my best bits from the week. I'll be back tomorrow morning live at four. So I look forward to talking to you then. Don't forget you can download all the podcasts from the LBC website. Go to lbc.co.uk. And you can always follow me on Twitter, at Steve Allen Show. Coming up next, I'm in conversation with Helen Lederer, James Corden and Stephen Merchant. So make sure you stay tuned for that. But now we've got the latest news at six.